morning. Welcome to Gospel Hope. Glad that you're here today. And I hope that's your prayer, the prayer of your heart, that you would know Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and we'll start this morning with prayer. Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming to your throne this morning. It's by grace. Thank you that you have made a way. There's an intercessor that's pleading on our behalf. It's Jesus. It's who we've been singing about this morning. And because of Jesus, you've given us blessings, spiritual blessings that are in heavenly places. You've given us things that we don't even fully comprehend. This morning, we are so thankful for the privilege of being a part of your family You've made us your own. We were rebels chasing our own dreams and and you've brought us near by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, and and you've given us the ability to be called your sons and daughters. And that alone is an unbelievable blessing. And so we're thankful for that this morning. We're thankful that we are not running this race of life on our own. We're thankful that you are with us and you promise never to leave us nor forsake us and you have provided your family to run this race together. So we're thankful for this community of believers at Gospel Hope Church that you've brought here in this area. We're thankful for the relationships that we have And so this morning we ask that you would uh, challenge us through your word about these relationships. That you would help us to uh, have gospel relationships in a gospel community that, that there wouldn't be fear because perfect love casts out fear. And there wouldn't be hesitancy to really just uh, jump in um, together. We're thankful for how you've already allowed that to happen. We're praying that you would, even in a, in a greater way, allow there to be relationships um, that, are, that are real and genuine because of Jesus. And that you would help us uh, as, we, as we go to your word and as your word speaks to us this morning. Maybe there are people here that do not even know or have a relationship with you that you would, by your Spirit, draw their hearts to you this morning and you would help them to see and to know the blessings that are in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. You've probably heard many leaders or pastors use the word community among believers. And this was needed because for many, many years, uh, there was an individualistic approach to the Christian life. Like, I got to do this, and, and I, have, I have this to do, and this is what I'm supposed to do, and I just go and do it all on my own. But this week, and, then, and next week, and the following week, we're going to take three Sundays to talk about community at Gospel Hope Church. And uh, so Matt has next week, and then Danny will wrap it up on the third week when he's back. So what is biblical community, and is there a biblical basis for using the word community? Take your Bibles, if you have one. If not, there are Bibles in the seat there. 
in front of you or underneath you. Acts chapter 2. We need to go to the Greek and unfold a word that we all know, which is koinonia. Appears almost 20 times in the New Testament. It's the most common English translation that we would use would be the word fellowship. And many times it's, it's translated participation or partnership or sharing. And many of us have grown up using the word fellowship, right? Fellowship would be a potluck or coffee or cookies or a barbecue in the park. Usually it's all about food. The first time this word is used is in Luke's account of the beginning of the New Testament church on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And the result of Peter's sermon was that 3,000 people put their trust in Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse, we'll start with uh, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves. This is the response right after they put their trust in Jesus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, koinonia, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs. They gave themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the doctrine of the word, and to the fellowship. So we aren't surprised that these new believers gave themselves to teaching and to prayer. But fellowship? It wasn't an add-on. It wasn't like, hey, once these 3,000 people were, were saved and trusted in the Lord, then we're going to actually teach about community. And we're going to actually create a culture of community. They gave themselves to relationships and to partnership. And it ranks right up there with teaching and prayer. Jerry Bridges takes these takes this verse and 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 3, uh, which says that that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And so he takes Acts 2, 42 and 1 John and he, he gives this definition, sharing a common life. And that's what we're going to use as a basis for this morning. Sharing a common life with other believers. And John says we share it with God, the Father, and His Son, Jesus. So we're going to take apart two two different definitions. Not this definition, but two different words that um, they use in the New Testament to interpret koinonia, which would be relationship, would be the first one. So number one is relationship. It's not an activity. They weren't committing to get together for an activity or for a fellowship with food, 
It was a relationship, a relationship that consisted of sharing together the very life of God through Christ, sharing a common life in Jesus. And to these Christians, their fellowship with God, it it just logically brought them into fellowship with with the others. It, it, It didn't make any sense that they would just go live independently. Their union with Jesus brought them into a spiritually organic community. Nobody came to the disciples uh, or the new believers at the day of Pentecost and said, and said, what do we do now? Do we meet on Mondays or Tuesdays or Wednesdays? The Holy Spirit had come upon these people and formed a unity, and a natural response was to exercise it outwardly. And we're going to talk about that in verse 47, 44 to 47, and what, what happened outwardly as a community. Peter says they were living stones being built into a spiritual house fellow members of the body of Christ. William Hedrickson said, koinonia is basically a community relationship. It's not the fact that we are, we, are, we are brought together because we have the same common goals or we're the same age or we have the same, we're in the same season of life. It's the fact that we share a common life in Jesus. So it goes much deeper. The ultimate purpose of fellowship was that the church would be God's instrument in accomplishing his ultimate plan, to show the wisdom of God, to hold God up to the world and display every aspect of who he is for everyone to see, not what we do and not who we are, because you and I both know that we fail over and over and over again. But his way is that there would be a unity within the body of believers that would be on display And it was on display from the very beginning of the church. This is the verse, 1 John 1, 3, that which we have seen and heard declare unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we know relationships with each other happened right away, but it happened because of the relationship they had with Jesus. So what does relationship mean? Is it an objective fact or a subjective experience? Well, I went and, man, I had a really good time because I really connected. I mean, I really like that person because, man, they just, we just really get along. I could say I have a good relationship with my daughter, but what does that mean? Changes from day to day, right? I'm talking about our own subjective experience. This is how we use the word relationship most of the time. We talk about the importance of relationships, and and we always emphasize the importance of getting to know one another and loving and accepting and encouraging one another. But all of these relationships talk about our experiences day to day to day. But this definition of sharing a common life in Christ, it actually has to do with an objective fact. like marriage. The, different, the dictionary defines relationship as the condition or fact of being related. When a man and woman marry, they enter a relationship. The fact that remains that they do have an objective relationship. Union speaks of family while communion speaks of fellowship. Union speaks of an objective fact while communion speaks of an experiential relationship. Objective facts are known truths which don't change based upon my opinion or your opinion. Experiential relationship is a personal experience of being connected with other people. Because you could walk away and go, man, 
I didn't really, I didn't really enjoy being with the Inafukus today. <laughs> or I could walk away and go, man, I had the great time. I had a great time, and we walked away with two different perspectives. Union is a one-time event, while communion is an everyday event. And union speaks of salvation, while communion speaks of sanctification. W.E. Vine says, there has to be union before communion. There cannot be the latter without the former. Bridges says, only as we understand our objective union with Christ will we be able to enter fully into the experiential joys of communion. That's why when we sing, come thou found of every blessing like we did this morning, some of us really aren't really experiencing that. What does it mean when Matt reads of all the spiritual blessings or when, when Andrew read about the spiritual blessings that are in Jesus. Because it's the, it, 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 those objective facts are what actually we hold on to when life gets rough and hard. And so as we go through some subjective, experiential things in life, we cling to those things. And it's real. But there is an objective fact. There is a union that has to happen before there can actually be real Communion. Only those who are in fellowship with one another, an objective fact because of Jesus, can have fellowship with one another. So true fellowship or true relationship or true koinonia embraces both the objective and the experiential aspects of our relationship with God. So here's the question. Do you have a relationship with God? Only as we understand our, our union with Christ will we be able to actually enjoy relationships with others fully. We'll come back to that question in a little bit. The second meaning uh, that, that the New Testament writers uh, define koinonia is not just relationship, but partnership. It involves the idea of sharing together in partnership, and, and they use it, in, in some cases, in a business term, like in Luke chapter 5, verse 10. He refers to, the par- to koinonia, or partnership, to refer to the, with Peter and James and John in the fishing business. That's the word that's used. So there's a partnership idea in the business, but spiritually, there's a partnership in Christian mission, or what we would say in the gospel Paul regarded himself as a partner with his friend Philemon. And we read that in Philemon chapter 17, or verse 17. And he thanked God also in Philippians for the partnership in the gospel. Turn, keep your place in Acts chapter 2 and turn over to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be in those two passages this morning. Philippians chapter 1, let's look at verse 3 and we'll go to verse 5. For now, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, from, because of your koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now. We also know in Galatians chapter 2 verse 9 that Paul went to Jerusalem to dispute with the legalists about the importance of circumcision. He said, James, Cephas, and John accepted Barnabas, and, and he has partners together 
And so this word partnership is used all throughout uh, the New Testament. Partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The gospel is what? It's the good news about the wonderful love of God shown through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for me. This is the gospel. So when Paul says, I'm going to be a partner, I'm going to share in this, in this relationship with you in the gospel, he says, I'm partnering because of this, the good news. The gospel is the good news. One commentator said this, the partnership in the gospel began before the creation of the world with the making of the covenant of redemption. The founding partners are God the Father. We sang about this this morning. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And their mutual interest is the spreading of the gospel of the glory of Christ, resulting in our enjoyment of him. The partnership in the gospel is a blood covenant. We are not our own. We have been bought with the price, the precious blood of Jesus. And this shows the commitment of the partners to each other and to the advance of the partnership's mutual interest. This is how important it was for God to allow us to have a partnership in the gospel was that he sent his son who paid the price for all of our sins. It was a blood covenant. It was a commitment. Hebrews 9 says, without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. So who can be a member of this gospel partnership? How do do you become a partner? Paul says, look here in verse in verse number six. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me, listen, to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. How do you become a partner in the gospel? It is not anything you do. It is of grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone will boast. But he goes on and he says, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's it. You don't sign up to be a partaker in the gospel, or, part, or I should say a, a, a participator or partner in the gospel because of everything you've done or anything that you've done or, or the fact that you're good at something. It has nothing to do with that. It's a gift of grace. He sent his son to be the propitiation for your sins, to, to, to take your place. All of your sins were put on the cross and and, and were nailed to the cross and and whatever sins, past, present, or future, 
His blood has washed it away. Now, I just, I love the song we just sang, like wave after wave of the ocean. I love the, the, just thinking about the ocean. I miss the ocean. I mean, if you've ever, if you've ever walked on, on, on the sand and, and you're walking and you look back and you see your footprints and then the, then the wave comes and then what happens? It's, it's all gone. And this is the blood of Jesus that cleanseth us from all our sin. The wave comes and washes that footprint away, and it's the blood that washes all of our sins away. And Jesus himself took the form of a servant and humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross, and secured redemption for us so that we could be a partner in the gospel. But it's by grace. You are made a partner in the gospel by receiving the gift of grace of God in Christ that takes enemies. We're at war with God. We sang about that. We're rebels and sinners and reconciles us to God. That reconciles is just a simple definition would be making the worst of enemies the best of friends. Now, on a human level, that seems almost impossible. When I say the word enemy, you automatically, there's faces maybe coming up in your head, right? But only God can do that. Because he's done that for us. We were at war with him. We were seeking our own way. And he made a way. What then is partnership in the gospel? It is being in Jesus. Heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ. Gospel partnership is our grateful, prayerful, and joyful participation with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in spreading this to the whole world. So relationship... Sorry, relationship describes believers as community. We talked about that. We're part of community. But partnership describes them as believers in action. It's an active participation in the gospel and the building up of others. This is what it means to be partnering in the gospel. I want to use a short illustration. Uh, of, we sang this song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Listen carefully to this story of Robert Robinson. He was a young man in the early 1700s when he was sent away to a trade school by his mother. His father died young. She, she had too many children that she did not know what to do, so she sent him to trade school, and as happened to most young men in that day, what he learned to do was to steal, rob, and to drink. He went with some of his friends one night after a drinking binge. They went to see a fortune teller. It really rattled him because she talked about the spirit life, the spirit world, and it really shook him. He found himself just a few weeks later standing in 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 an evangelistic meeting on a street corner in London, which was being preached by the most famous preacher of his day, George Whitfield. Whitfield was one of the leaders of the first great awakening here in the United States, and he was a great, great preacher. And Robert stood there. He and his friends had gone to make fun of this man. But as so often happens, he was moved by the message of the gospel of grace. A few, a few days later, he invited Christ to come into his heart. He turned from his sin. He went, he went and received Bible training. He began pastoring in London. At 23 years old, he entered the ministry, and he wrote this song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. 
He was preaching on Sunday, and he asked the Holy Spirit to help him write a hymn that would ask God to flood into their hearts with his strings of mercy and keep us faithful to him and enable to sing praises to him. Years later, Robert Robinson began to suffer bouts of depression. He began to doubt his fate. He began to question the reality of God, and he left the church, and he abandoned his call. He was working and traveling around trying to make a living. He fell into a deeper, deeper depression. One day, he was on a stagecoach, and a young woman got on the stagecoach and sat next to him. She had just become a Christian, and she started trying to share her faith with him and tell him about her life and how her life was changed by Jesus. He said, I do not want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. She said, well, let me read something to you that helped me so much. Maybe it will help you. She opened the book she had in her lap, and she began to read these words. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Robert Robinson sitting next to her began to weep, then his weeping turned to sobs. He said, oh madam, I would give a thousand words if I had them to mean those words as you were saying them because you see, I am the person who wrote those words. I cannot get back to God. He began to tell her about his depression and this brand new Christian young woman said to this man, oh no sir, no, no, no. Look, here it is right here. Streams of mercy never ceasing. It was at that point he began to pray and ask God to forgive him, and he began a journey back to the Lord. He eventually, eventually returned to London and was preaching in churches around the area, and he was scheduled to preach at a church in London on Sunday, and Saturday night before, at age 54, he died in his sleep. What a story. I didn't make that up. That's a true story. This man, it, it's almost a little eerie, right? Like, really? That he actually lived the song that he wrote. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. He wrote that at 23 years old. He knew himself. He knew his heart. He says, here is my heart, oh, take and seal it. He did wander. He did wander from God, but God restored him through the words of a woman who had no idea what she was sharing at that moment. But isn't that the way God works? That is partnering in the gospel. I mean, what if she sat in that stagecoach and just said, I'm not going to say a word. But see, this young woman even knew that, that, that her life had drastically changed and she couldn't stop sharing it with people. And the one thing that God used was the, the text of this hymn to influence her life that she shared, and it actually was his words. Partners in the gospel also share a deep affection for one another that only comes from Christ. Look at verse 7 of Philippians 1. It says this, it is right for me to feel this way about you all, to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. He says in verse 8, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
Chapter 2, verse 20 to 22, for I have no one like him, this is talking about Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven work, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. What is it about gospel partnership that causes deep affection? Now, there's a reason why we're taking some time to do this because, because, listen, we're not just trying to say, let's create a culture of community. I'm trying to tell you that the only way that we can have deep affection for each other is actually to understand the, the wonderful love of God through Christ that was given to us. There's no way. There is no way that I can love you and there's no way that you can love me. We'd be irritated after five minutes. But we, we do that because of Jesus. And Paul says this, that it's this partnership in the gospel that causes deep affection. It's our communion with God, the Trinity. In our partnership, we learn to follow him and imitate him. We are empowered to become partakers of the divine nature Community groups are often where we enjoy the relationship of gospel partnership. And we're going to start those up this fall, this September. We share our joys in the gospel. Shoulder to shoulder, we care for one another. We fight for one another against sin. We hold one another in our hearts. We are genuinely concerned for one another's lives. What an incredible partnership. This is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. I mean, can you really say that about each other? Sometimes we come to church and we're just like anybody else. We just come and we're just here for ourselves. And, 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 and really, it's just our natural bent. We're bent to be selfish people. That's how we are. I mean, I just talked to my, my daughter the other day. I said, did anybody teach you how to be selfish? Like, did I teach you that? Tell me if I did. I want to know if I taught you how to be selfish. No. She just was born that way. Like, I want the biggest. I want the highest. They have, we have two hammocks in our yard I put one on top of the other and just, I shouldn't have done that because they're just fighting all day long so the hammocks come down but we're bent that way we're not bent to really have a deep affection for someone that we don't know or you know it's interesting how we kind of make our own statements about about community we'll say well man we're we're it's just hard because we're in different seasons of life <laughs> okay I just don't see that in Acts chapter 2 when 3,000 people were saved and they started to go, okay, okay, uh, you have kids under five, you guys go over here, you guys go over here. No, they gave themselves to teaching fellowship and prayer. It was a natural thing that happened when they, when they understood the gospel. Look at verse 12 in Philippians 1. Here Paul says, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What happened to him? Well, he was imprisoned. He was, he's writing this from a jail cell. He, he's not even complaining, which is another 
supernatural gift from God because our natural bent is to actually look at our situation and go, this is too hard. But here's Paul, and he says that, that what has happened to me? I'm sitting in a jail cell, and I'm writing this to you, and I'm telling you about my deep love for you. has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known, listen to this, throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So here is Paul, and he's not just saying he has this deep affection. He, he's writing this from prison. In a trial and a difficulty that is beyond uh, comprehension. I, I can't even imagine that. I mean, if I were to think about me being locked up in a cell by myself... I would become very depressed, and I'll be angry, and I'll be bitter. I'm just being honest. That's what I would do. But there's nothing special about Paul other than the fact that he understood the grace of God in Christ Jesus. So that when he says this, he's saying this with true sincerity and honesty. And, and this, is, this, is, this is the reason that we can actually partner in the gospel. We can imitate. As Paul says, Follow me as I follow Christ. And in this partnership in the gospel, we're actually uh, in this union with Jesus. We're, uh, we have this relationship that we imitate Jesus. I mean, Jesus knew it more than anyone else when, he, when his own people turned against him and put him on the cross. Said all manner of evil against him falsely, and he didn't respond with a word because he was obedient to his Father for us. There was no other way that you and I could be saved. And he did. And so even in Philippians 2, we have that as an example for us of Jesus. A second meaning of, of koinonia is sharing with others what we have. And this first one is communion with others. A communion, communicating intimately or sharing with, with one another on a close personal and spiritual level. Mutual sharing among believers. What God has taught you from his word. A word of encouragement from one person to the other. The key element is that the subject of sharing is always focused on God. And on his word and on his works. Packer, J.I. Packer, commentator, says this, it is first a sharing with our fellow believers the things God has made known to us about himself in hope that we may thus help them to know him better and so enrich their fellowship with him. Look back at Acts chapter 2. Let's look at verse number 5. says this, now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. <laughs> I just think that's interesting. Yeah, they were Jews, but they were from every nation under heaven. And they gathered into the church on the day of Pentecost, and, and, and everyone, different places, different, different ways of doing things in their own homes and, 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 and relationships, and immediately after coming to the community relationship of Christ, 
they began to experience communion with others. I think that's unbelievable. I mean, I just wish I could have been there. 3,000 people right away in the beginning of the New Testament church, every nation under heaven. This is unbelievable. They were no longer ignoring each other, divided against each other, or even considering themselves better than each other. Instead, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, prayer, and fellowship. In verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, it says and they, what I just read, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers, and awe came among, upon every soul, soul and, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They couldn't get enough of teaching, fellowship, and prayer. These first Christians from the day of Pentecost came. They knew the Old Testament, listened to the apostles' teaching, and, and, and their eyes were opened by the Holy Spirit, and they saw the scriptures in a new way, and the automatic response was then to go share with each other what they were learning. What do you talk about? How are our coffee fellowships with each other? How is our community group? We want this real, genuine community as displayed for us in Acts chapter 2, but we need to start talking about eternal truths instead of temporary issues. We need encouragement. We, we need to pray for each other, which Daniel will talk about in, in two Sundays. We need to learn from each other. We need to grow. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 to 31, Paul says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Live a life worthy of the gospel, and you're going to live that, and you're going to talk about it, and and I think it's a real challenge. And listen, we can't manufacture these things. You can't, listen, it doesn't mean that when you're going through a trial, you come in and you go, man, everything's good. No, it's not good. <laughs> but you're, you're willing and open to say, can I just share something with you? I really need your help. Life is hard. And this is why I came tonight, because I need you to help me. I need you to pray for me. I need you to encourage me in truth. I mean, what happens, and we've seen this, it's not just here, it's in every place, right? When, when life gets hard and busy, the first thing that, that stops is community. The first thing that stops is actually this relationship in the gospel and partnership together. We are partnering together in the gospel, and so what actually you really need to do is be together. Because you need, God, God didn't create us to be lone rangers. We need each other. Live a life worthy of the gospel. 
whether things are going well as we're standing side by side or whether you are even suffering so that others may see. But it's not just that. The overflow, we talked about this in the beginning, is really this generous giving to others. It flows out of a relationship. This is what happened in Acts chapter 2, verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as many as any had need. And day by day, attempting, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food and gl- with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, let me just tell you, this is at the end of understanding the grace of God in Christ. This isn't at the beginning, like you need to go do all these things and and be generous to people. No, this flows out of a relationship with God. Generously giving to others. They shared their material possessions with those that that were in need. Romans 12, 13 says, sharing with God's people who are in need. 2 Corinthians 9, generosity and sharing with others. Hebrews 13, 16, not to forget to do good and to share with others. And the word share in these passages is the same translation of the word koinonia. Whether it's a noun or a verb. It's the fellowship of sharing with those in need, showing compassion to them. This is a tangible way to demonstrate that we are in a relationship with one another. And when one member of the community suffers, we all suffer together. And Matt's going to be sharing about that next week on an even more deeper and practical level. When a parent meets the need of one of their children, you don't sit there and go, well, that's a nice act of kindness. (laughs) It's actually out of a relationship that they do that, that I do that. I don't go, man, I better help my child so that I can actually, you know, count that as a generous act. No, I'm doing that because I love my kids. And you love your kids. And and that's why we do it. It flows out of relationship. We are partners in the gospel. We share with one another, realizing that we are not owners. We loosely hold on to the things of this world. We're only stewards of the possessions God has given to us. The application of this is in 2 Corinthians 8, 13 and 14. I'll read it to you. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. There's seasons and there's ebb and flow, right? And we've seen, we've all experienced that where it's like, man, I feel like God's just blessing for some reason. Well, then there's other people that's like, I can't even make my rent or my mortgage payment. And it's not like we're, you know, we're, we're coming here going, okay, I'm going to make a list of everything. Hopefully everybody will help meet my needs here. That's not the point. The point is that there is a partnership together that, that there's actually this enjoyment of generously giving that flows out. And I just want to say this, that I've actually seen this at Gospel Hope and experienced it even for myself. And it's been an unbelievable impact in my own heart in regards to the gospel. Because, when, because there's a difference than just, just I'm going to do this so that I, there are times people have done something and I don't even know who they were. Paul is encouraging fellowship with Christians they had never even met and would never even meet. The poor in Jerusalem, 
They weren't going to have coffee and donuts with these people in need. They were going to dig in their pockets and help them. And this isn't a message about digging into your pockets and going and giving out. It's just, this is what flows out of this relationship that we have with God. It's a natural thing. You've met people that are kind. I I grew up in Hawaii, and, and, and they used to pride themselves in having the aloha spirit. I don't know if that's as, as prevalent today because it's so expensive to live there and so busy. People are working three jobs just to survive. But the reality is, that's what naturally happened. But can you imagine even in a culture like that where the gospel is what produces it even more and multiplies it times 10? And you're going, whoa, I thought you guys were givers, but man, you're givers. Or... Man, I thought that you guys were, were, were like to get together for barbecues, but you're not just getting together for a barbecue. You're getting together and you're actually talking about your relationship with God. It's unbelievable. People walk away and go, man, I've not even heard that before. Or you're talking about the hope. There's, only, there's hope only in Jesus. And can I just tell you, the way this, that things are going in our world, there is... Only one person to cling to who never changes. And it was always, is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's Jesus. We cannot have meaningful fellowship or koinonia with one another unless we are individually experiencing fellowship or koinonia with God. And understanding this is going to enhance our fellowship. If fellowship is sharing a common life in Christ, then we have to understand and live out that life that we have in Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. I'm so thankful for your attention and being here with us. There's a couple questions that I'd like to ask, and it's, I just call them our take-home questions. Number one, are you living out koinonia? I don't want you to tell me that, yeah, you're doing this, this, this. It's actually, are you living out koinonia with God? Do you have koinonia with God? Do you know him? Is he your Lord? Have you ever come to him by faith and humility to accept a free gift. We talked about giving, and, and a lot of times we kind of tend to like to give, but to receive a gift, sometimes it's really difficult for us. But this is a gift that we don't have to do anything for. It's the gift of Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And you, you might say, well, I don't know how to have a relationship with God. Well, the Bible tells us, it's, it's as I, I say, it's as simple as ABC. It's admit that you're a sinner. I, I, I know I'm at war with God. I, know my, I, I just know in my heart that I'm a sinner. The Bible says, for all have sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. And, and then believe on Jesus Christ. Romans 10 says, believe on Jesus Christ with your mouth. Confess. Confess. 
That's C, confess. Call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. And this relationship, this union with God can happen even today. You can know in your heart. You can know him. And then when, we, when you hear a message like this or read about what Paul's sharing in Philippians chapter 1 and even what Matt read in Philippians chapter 3 about how why in the world would he want to count everything as loss to know Christ? It's because of of what he's done for us he died for us to forgive us of all of our sins we want you to know that we're here to help you if you have any questions um, any of the pastors would love to talk with you after to help you to see the hope that is in jesus father i thank you this morning for all that you've done for us your love is wonderful and amazing that you would love the world to send your only son to die for us. And I thank you that we don't stand here on our own merits. You know our hearts. You know how our tendencies are. You know how all the things that we've done, and yet you still love us and care for us and desire to have relationship with us. And it's because of that that ignites this community together that's different than any other community because believers around the world, we could get together with people in China today who know you as their Savior and it would be an unbelievable communion because of Jesus. And so we pray that even here at Gospel Hope there's that our people that would would, would be people that would give themselves to the teaching, and fellowship, and to prayer, that our hearts would be drawn daily to you, to know you and who you are, and to be like you. In your name we pray, amen.